Hi, and welcome to Authorised, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier, and today, a great book. It's a book that's been a long time in the making in terms of uh, the man that it's about is Lindsay Gaze. The book is called Gaze, The Man, The Player, and The Coach. Are they three different beasts? Well, we'll find out when we talk to the man himself, Lindsay Gaze, and also to the man behind the book, Grantley Bernard. So uh, from Wilkinson Publishing, a look at this terrific book about uh, one of the iconic names in Australian sport, one of the iconic families in Australian sport is the Gaze family. So Lindsay and Grantley coming up shortly. And that's all thanks, of course, to our great partners in this authorised podcast, and that's CSCG. Great people to do business with because your business is their business and they care about what they do. They know what they're doing. Uh, when you become business partners with CSCG, you take on a whole lot of people with a great amount of experience, a great amount of care and attention to detail, and people who know exactly what the finance world, where it's changing, when it's changing, how it's changing, and how that equates to your situation. So get in touch with them, and it's very easy to do. Jump on their website and have a look at uh, every uh, one of the services they have to offer, and there's so many, cscg.com.au, or they're always up for a chat. Give them a call, 03-9974-8333. Going to have a chat. They're always available uh, to talk about your accounting, your taxation situation, your financial situation. They're there to have a talk to you about that. We're here today to talk about this terrific book. It's Gaze, the man, the player and the coach. Lindsay Gaze is uh, first up. Let's talk to him about putting this whole thing together. Was it a hard decision for you to sit down and do this because you're you're famously a private human being? I don't know about famously, but uh, (laughs) uh, it it wasn't difficult in, in so much as I've always been interested in history and in particular our own history. Yep. I got a great deal of satisfaction in 1981 <laughs> when Basketball Victoria was celebrating their jubilee and the mission was to try to document our history then. Some of the stories that came out of that were interesting, humorous, unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> And good fun. Yeah. So when I thought about documenting my own biography, started without any particular timetable or any particular order and just prattled on. Well, I mean, uh, you talk about history, but you are so much a part of the, the history of basketball now. That puts a different perspective on it when you try and recount it and not and knowing knowing the way you go about things and not putting yourself in the in the sort of front of the of the chamber every time if you know what i mean that was an issue i tended to leave out the politics of the game yep or more the politics of the administration by and large just tried to identify more of the highlights yep and particularly the pioneering of our international competition and from my own point of view, you know, I feel incredibly privileged to have been able to be a part of that. Did you get a certain amount of uh, almost retrospective uh, appreciation of what you achieved and a bit of sort of almost <laughs> re- retrospective kind of enjoyment out of looking back at what you'd done that you didn't maybe get in the moment when you were doing it? Uh, I knew what was happening when it was when it was happening. Yeah. You know, because that was almost like a deliberate plan, if you like, in trying to find ways in which we could elevate our standards. Uh, many times we were playing out of our league. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one of the things I didn't mention, but 
probably should have. Whenever we went away and played against superior opposition, we won probably more than we should have. When we finished the tour, we would say to each other, I wish we were starting now yeah. because we have learned so much during that experience. It's like now we're ready to, to play. Yeah. The mission was, one, to get that experience, but also to elevate the level of our environment so that those players coming through the ranks adjust to that environment and then improve. Yep. So that we become better able to play at that international level and be able to compete more favourably, well, which you, we are doing now. Yeah, I was going to say, you must be yeah. absolutely stoked with what you see now, given well, your first few Olympic Games you went to qualifying. You didn't actually, you, you went to a qualifying tournament to try and get in, whereas now with the likes of, you know, Paddy Mills and Ben Simmons and that, we're world class. We're, we're, we're kind of podium finish now before we even walk on the court. Well, not quite. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, we, ha- we haven't done that we, yet. But... We, we, might claim, we might claim to be that. We certainly have with the women. Yep. You know, that's one of the elements that I maybe regret, and there's not enough in my story this time explaining and, you know, recording the progress of the women's game. Yep. You know, they they clearly have a fantastic story to tell, and it hasn't been told yet. When they established the Victorian Institute of Sport, I proposed that we should be concentrating on women's basketball and that funding assistance should be given to the way that they can get access to competition, both here in Australia and overseas. You know, they were even more challenged for... um, getting that level of competition, but um, uh, the uh, discussions I had with um, <laughs> with the, um, the director of the Victoria Institute of Sport were friendly, but respectful in our disagreements. <laughs> right. I think they call and, that uh, robust now, don't they? They call it robust. robust. Yeah, well, yes. I'll tell you a quick story. We're at an um, annual function for uh, Vic Health, we're in the gardens up there, the Fitzroy Gardens, the ex- opposite the ex- or near the exhibition building, mm. and we're all gathered there. Lo and behold, a mosquito landed on this guy's forehead, <laughs> and I I was hesitating and lifting my hand as if you know I wanted to get rid of the mosquito for him because he wasn't aware of this thing nibbling at him. And then he realised what I was doing. I said, "There's a mosquito there," and he and he commented. He said, "You really wanted to slap that mosquito <laughs> hard, didn't you?" <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, "I wanted to be a bit more polite than that," so, because he knew the battles we'd had in trying to get support for our women were serious, but they just had a different policy. Anyway, we went on, and uh, of course, the women have overcome those obstacles extremely well, and now very highly regarded around the world. Yeah, the book's broken up into three kind of parts. There's, there's the gays, the man, gays, the player, and gays, the coach. Are they three yep. different? Are they three different personalities, or are they three variations? Well, uh, no, I hope not. Others <laughs> 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 might judge that differently, but. Um, I think it was, you know, trying to 
uh, let's say, have an evolution of my beginnings in basketball and what was happening in my life at that time and then progressing there to playing and those experiences and then, of course, the next and the longest part is the coaching. Yeah. I've said to players and, you know, say guys like Brian Gorgon and Bruce Palmer and, and others who had played for us, Alan Westover was another one, but, the, you know, they all joined us, played and had a, a desire to coach. Uh, and I tried to convince them to stay longer as a player because whatever time you retire as a player, you'll spend a lot more time not being a player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And none of, them, none of them took my advice. <laughs> <laughs> they, all, uh, they all began coaching while they could still play at the highest level, Yeah, but they were all pretty good at what they did. Yeah, no, absolutely. All three very good coaches. Hey, mm. there was, was footy... I mean, I know you went to the '56 Olympic Games in a in a to play in an exhibition game. You didn't get on the ground, but was there ever a time when footy was going to win over basketball, or was basketball always going to win over footy for you? And I know you're a pretty keen tennis player as well. I've always been preferable to team sports, but I thought at the time when I was very young, I thought tennis was a really good sport as an individual. Yeah. You know, I enjoyed playing tennis, and uh, but never in what you might call a serious competitive situation. I, I wasn't part of a club. Uh, I wasn't playing in serious competition. I played against some people who were, yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, I was never coached and never just you know self-taught as a player. But with uh, with football, you know, as a kid, you couldn't escape it. It basically had three choices. You played football in the winter, cricket in the summer, yep. or maybe if you're a little bit limp-wristed, you might play tennis. Right. And, but otherwise, not many other options. I mean, basketball wasn't known. when we got, Well, it was sort of known, but um, certainly not considered as a school sport. What happened when I did start playing basketball and someone asked me how to play basketball, so oh, do, do men play basketball, do they? Oh, because netball was popular. Yep. And in Australia, they called it seven-a-side basketball. And seven-a-side basketball was the women's netball. But it was only relatively recent years that the women's seven-a-side basketball came into line with the rest of the world and called it netball. Oh, right, okay. Netball was, um, was known as basketball until, you know, fairly 40s or 50s or something like that. They were all part of the the, um, the game and the history, but uh, in my case, I never had much choice. Played football. My brothers wouldn't let me play with them because I was too hopeless. <laughs> and, you know, I finally got around to being able to have a kick to kick with them. But anyway, that progressed to a reasonable level. I played with the Melbourne under-19s. Yep, and um, it was a little bit of a dent in my ego that I wasn't invited to continue with their, their seconds or their first squads. All right, but I played in the Sunday League, which um, was uh, was sort of an underground league because it was unaffiliated. We often had players who were excluded from the then VFL because of the Coulter Law about clearances or zoning or oh, yeah, right, whatever. Yep. Uh, you know, we had league players playing in teams and we had a couple in our team. 
you know, I enjoyed that. Actually, wasn't too bad at it. And then my brother, my oldest brother, who was playing with Paran football, harassed me and harassed me more and said, um, come and play there. So I joined him playing in Paran with the, the, the association, which is, that's a, that was like then equivalent to second division of yep. the VFL. They decided to select an amateur team from combined VFL and VFA to play against the Australian amateurs uh, as a demonstration sport for the 56th Olympic Games. I made the squad, but didn't make the game, <laughs> which, you know, I wasn't overly disappointed because it was, it was sort of, no one took much notice of it. No one went to the game. Yeah. Uh, but at that time, and I think I might have mentioned this in the book, saying, if I could be the best I could be, I might get to play on the MCG. I was already doing that with Melbourne. And then, of course, it was the time of the Olympic Games in Melbourne. And I thought, well, if I could be the best I could be in basketball, I might be able to get to play around the world. Yeah. And that was a, a better target. That was a better option. And you finished up going to three Olympics as a player and four Olympics as a coach. It was a pretty bloody good effort. Uh, well, you know, you look back on and like I say, I'm unbelievably privileged to have those experiences and met some of the greatest people you could ever meet. Yeah. You know, that international experience and the international camaraderie, especially when in those times we had the, you know, the Iron Curtain, the Soviet Union, and getting to meet people from Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, you know, Russia, for all of the propaganda that goes towards identifying the evil of others, yeah. you know, it's so inane that, um, you know, some, just some great people that I met on the way. And I'm sure they hold you in great stead as, as the basketball community does. Are you comfortable with the with the terminology you're the most influential figure that Australian basketball has seen? I couldn't be comfortable with that because <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's bullshit. <laughs> There's been many, many people who have made fantastic contributions uh, but not necessarily at the highest level. Yep. The sport is littered with those that have just devoted their lives to being part of the sport. And I think I was just lucky for my timing <laughs> because when I first played basketball, there were uh, just over a thousand registered players in Victoria. Jeez. That's not many. No. Now, you don't have to be very good to play at the higher level of that group. <laughs> but um, that changed rapidly, of course. When we when we got access to our own stadium, and I don't think I mentioned too much about uh, the disappointment of 56 and not getting basketball facilities as a legacy from the Olympic Games of 56. Yeah. We got shafted pretty badly there by the the fellow who was the chair of the um, exhibition buildings, we were playing at the showgrounds at that stage or in church halls and army drill halls and wherever we could get a court. And uh, it wasn't until we built the Albert Park Stadium that we had a home and instantly the sport flourished. Yeah which I know your thing's always been about, the, the participation numbers have always been never talked uh, talked up enough, to be honest. Uh, I know you and I have had a couple of conversations about it over the years that um, basketball doesn't get the respect that it deserves in terms of what it brings to the community and what it what it serves the community as a, as a sport and as a, as a pathway well, for kids. 
in conversations with Ron Casey, you know, Channel 7 boss, yeah, the best we've had when it comes to sport and sport management, you know, he clearly was the best we've had. He tried to help us. Uh, you know, he was good enough to make a spot on the world of sport on those Sunday lunchtime shows for me and basketball and Whenever a team visited, I'd drag someone from the team to go and have a chat, you know, in the dying minutes of the, <laughs> of yeah. the World of Sports show. When I was advocating for Channel 7 to cover the NCAA finals and, of course, to show basketball, he'd say, yeah, yeah, but where can we put it? Yeah, we can't change or chop out this show or that show. I said, what about Saturday mornings? We've got the commitment to, by regulation to cover children's shows and so he just couldn't find a spot for the sport. He said, well, you know, hesitatingly, so we can still live without basketball and implying we can't live without football. Yeah. yeah that was their bread and butter. Yep. Uh, that was their business and everything else was secondary to the football. So when you're competing with that, it's pretty hard to get the recognition even when it was standing out like dog's balls yep. in um, the way the sport was progressing. So it's better now than it's ever been, still below what it should be. Yeah, no, <laughs> I could, couldn't agree more. Uh, hey, Lens, it's always lovely to catch up with you, mate. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, good luck. It's, it's great to have the book, uh, to be able to sit down and, and read about uh, your story and your history and your contribution to the game as much as you don't want to play it up. It's been massive. <laughs> Well, thanks for that. It'd be interesting if other people read it. <laughs> I've, I've satisfied myself at least that part of it is documented. <laughs> you know, whether it's Basketball Victoria or Basketball Australia, who over the years, here in Victoria, we've done a fairly reasonable job of trying to record our history. Basketball Australia is grossly negligent yeah. in recording our history. There are some at that level who are very keen to get work done on that and maybe in my book might be motivation for them to do something much better. Let's hope so. Good on you, Lindsay. Thanks for your time, mate. No worries. Thanks for your interest and good luck. Okay. Cheers. (laughs) See ya. All right, from the man himself, the subject of the book, to the man who had the job of putting it all together, uh, journalist Grantley Bernard. Uh, let's talk to Grantley now about uh, getting uh, getting this, all these words and this terrific life, actually getting it down on paper. It's a bit of a crime that Lindsay's story, you know, hasn't already been told 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, like, he, what is he, 84, 85, had an amazing life outside of basketball. Um, but obviously basketball has been the, the main component of that life, but done a lot of things, achieved a lot of things. And, you know, I think when he finally does depart, he's going to leave a, a major legacy behind, but it's going to be the legacy of a life, I think, pretty well fulfilled. Yeah. What um, what surprised you about what you discovered about him that you didn't already know? Because you obviously had a fair few dealings with him as a, as a journo and as a basketball person. I think the main thing I learned from talking to Lindsay was his family life, you know, when he was a kid. Yep. You know, growing up with his mum, an alcoholic dad, you know, an abusive dad. You know, I guess the bravery of his mum to take the three boys, leave the father, and basically fend for themselves. His mum really shaped who Lindsay is and what Lindsay became um, with an amazing work ethic, 
just a willingness to, to get the job done the right way and come out on top. Yeah, obviously an amazing woman. Uh, but I mean, because not only, as you say, to, to leave the family home, but also to uproot the, the boys and move states and do all that stuff. Exactly. And the thing was that three brothers, Lindsay, Barry, Tony, you know, as Lindsay rightly says in the book, were all high achievers. Uh, and Tony, you know, in his own right, was a great basketball coach. Um, coached the Australian women's team for the yeah. coached the NBL level, Frankston Bears, coached the Daniel Rangers. Um, so he's done an amazing amount of good in basketball. Barry, the eldest brother, an excellent greyhound trainer. So and outside of sport, they've also achieved highly. So I, I think a lot of that credit goes goes back to their mother for sure. Does the basketball kind of cloud who he is as a human being or, or does it make him what he is as a human being? Lindsay's been a polarising figure in basketball in Australia. There's no getting away from that. Uh, even, you know, he's been polarising within Melbourne, within Victoria, within Australia. Because of his role with the Tigers, that means he's, he's split opinion within the city and the state. With his role with Victoria, he's split the country. So he's a polarising figure. But the one common denominator you usually will find is the people that have worked with him closely in that work environment within basketball or having been coached by Lindsay have an enormous loyalty to Lindsay and they have a, an enormous amount of gratitude, not only did for them personally, but what he's done for basketball over the journey. Yeah. And what they all say, I actually read a, there was a comment on social media just recently that probably summed it up that said, as good a basketball coach as he was, an even better person. Yeah. It's a nice way to be remembered, isn't it? Well, I guess we all kind of want to be remembered in that way, don't we? Probably A, to be remembered is good. <laughs> B, to be remembered well would be would be great. As a, as a tough, hard uh, competitor that, that, he, that he is and was, I mean, I ring him today and he's, he's sorting through clearances and, and trying to work out fixtures and, and trying to book courts and do all that sort of stuff. He's never lost that grassroots part of basketball and, and, and the sport and his association with the sport at that level, even though he's been to the very pinnacle of it. Yeah, and I guess that's the, the major foundation of Lindsay's, I guess, basketball affiliation and, and love of the game. He started at grassroots. He had an amazing career arc, I guess you want to say, and now he's he's going to finish at grassroots, administering you know the Melbourne Basketball Association competition, fixtures, the teams, all those sorts of things. You know, I really think that's one thing that, that keeps him going. And you know, he talks about in the book after he finished coaching the Tigers NBL team, he got an offer to go and coach in China, which he did. One of the the, the must haves in the deal to coach in China was that he needed uh, internet access the whole time because he needed the internet access to be able to, to continue <laughs> to administer the Melbourne Basketball <laughs> Association, <laughs> to be able to post the, the scores, the fixtures, the ladders, etc. You know, So even when he's been in China, that's still you know a top priority. Yeah. Great players make great coaches or great coaches you know, bring out the best in players. The, the kind of marriage of those two in Lindsay's case with the Tigers was, was quite phenomenal, wasn't it? I don't think there's ever a truer word spoken in, in sport that, you know, to be a great coach you need great players. But also, you know, a great coach will bring out the best in great players. And I think Lindsay had the capacity to do that. I think he had 
the capacity to help, you know, I guess mediocre players become better. Yeah. You know, he gave people opportunities. But, you know, he, Lindsay's never been a soft touch when it comes to, you know, picking teams and players and and those sorts of things. He, You know, he's a competitor, he's a winner. I, I guess that's where there, there is that little edge to Lindsay that, you know, people probably can tend to overlook because he's always seemed so relaxed on the sidelines. But, you know, when it comes down to it, Lindsay's been a, a, a great coach with the great players who's always wanted to win. Yeah. The gay's name in Australian basketball, um, will we ever see anything like that ever? Doubt it. Oh, I don't know that there's ever going to be another father-son combination like that in any sport, is there? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, right now off the top of my head, I can't think of one. Well, okay, I mean, if you want to talk AFL, well, you're going to talk Gary Ablett. Senior and Gary Ablett Junior, I guess, aren't you? Yeah, that's a domestic sport. Lindsay and Andrew have been major, major keys internationally in their sport. Yep, Olympians, Hall of Fames. So yeah, people might throw up the Ablett comparison. And having said that, though, the Ablets have only played their game. Neither of them have coached or had an off-field contribution uh, like Lindsay has. Especially, and Andrew, you know, is coached as well in his own right. So I, I don't, I don't see that one happening again, uh, Kevin. I really don't. I mean, if it, maybe if a Brabham had gone on to be a, a world champion like Jack had, or something like that, you, you'd have that international thing. But there's just nothing quite like it. No, and I think the other thing is that look now with the evolution of, of the players from Australia now going to to the NBA regularly. You know, there becomes debate, well, is Andrew still our greatest ever player? That's debatable. What is important is he's still in that debate about being our greatest player. What gets overlooked with Lindsay, because he's been a coach or was a coach, he was the coach of the Tigers at the top level for 35 years. (laughs) That's unbelievable. But before that, Lindsay was one of Australia's best basketball players. Yep. So as a player in his own right, Lindsay was also up there, obviously in the days before there was a National League. But again, as I say, he played for Australia at the Olympics at the World Championships. He was a, a key player when the Tigers, you know, won state league titles and South East Conference titles and those sorts of things and national titles. So it, it's, a, yeah, an amazing combination, the, the gays and gays. Was uh, was it an interesting uh, and, and I'd say cordial relationship you had with him in doing the book or did you have to be the hard man at some stages or how did that no. work? No, Lindsay's usually pretty easy to chat to. Yep. Um, oh, he loves a chat. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, I, look, I guess probably the hardest thing with Lindsay, you know, was he, he, would, he was never going to give himself credit. And in fairness, Lindsay doesn't, doesn't easily offer credit to a lot of people. So if he, if he gives someone a tick, well, it, it's it's pretty well earned. Yeah. And I guess the other thing with Lindsay is he's, he's never publicly derided individuals and he certainly wasn't going to do that again um, when it came time to, to writing his life story. And, you know, there's probably a couple of stories that go untold, uh, but that was of Lindsay choosing. And I guess that's credit to him that um, any dirty laundry was uh, was going to stay in the uh, in the washing basket. Yeah, fair enough too. He's from that uh, that generation that uh, that can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Uh, close enough to that, yes. <laughs> or at least publicly. Mm. 
Hey, uh, well done on the book, Grantley. It's uh, it, it's uh, you know it's something that's really an important uh, document of of basketball in this country and of an incredibly important human being in uh, not only in the basketball world but obviously for what he's done uh, as a human being as well. So uh, well done on that, and uh, good luck for the future. Thanks for your time, mate. Thank you, Kevin. My thanks to the great Lindsay Gaze and my thanks to Grantley Bernard for joining us on the Authorised Podcast to have a chat about this terrific book. It's out now through Wilkinson Publishing. It's called Gaze, the man, the player, the coach. I'm a massive fan of Lindsay Gaze as a human being and as a obviously a sporting figure in the basketball world and the way he's gone about uh, what he's done. I think he's just a terrific fella and uh, it is a very good read and I, I think uh, you should uh, grab a copy of it and, and have a read and uh, celebrate what's been a, a fantastic life with hopefully many, many more moons to come uh, in that life of Lindsay Goes. But thanks also to our terrific partners in this uh, podcast, and that is CSCG. Uh, Their website will tell you everything you need to know about them. You'll get to see the people who you'll be dealing with. It's cscg.com.au. Contact them. They're available to talk to you about your accounting uh, situation, your financial situation, any taxation uh, issues that you might want to chat to them about. Uh, Get into business with them because they're great people. Uh, The telephone number, 03. Double nine seven four eight triple three. That website is cscg.com.au. They're also across social media as well. So uh, look after them because they're looking after us. On the Authorised Podcast, a reminder about some of our previous episodes. If you want to go back and have a listen to uh, some great authors talking about their latest works, you can check out uh, Monica McInerney talking about her award-winning book, The Godmothers, and Peter Fitzsimons talking about uh, his book on the Breaker Morant, uh, part of our Australian history. So a couple of uh, great listens there. Make sure you have a listen to some of the earlier episodes of Authorised. Till next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Take care of yourself.